Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics, a podcast dedicated to exploring how things get places and the people who get them there. We'll talk with logistics and supply chain leaders about innovation, industry trends, and the future of the logistics business. Now, here's your host, Joe Lynch. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Logistics of Logistics podcast. My name is Joe Lynch. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today's topic is why freight tech fails with my friend, Mike Wolf. How's it going, Mike? Great. How are you doing this morning, Joe? Doing great. Doing great. Mike, please introduce yourself and your company and where you're calling from today. Yeah, this is Mike Wolf. I'm uh, based in Atlanta, Georgia. I work for JBF Consulting. We are a small but growing fast consulting firm, obviously, uh, and we, we help solve logistics problems with technology. Right. And you guys aren't selling like a transportation management system, ERP or WMS. You are helping companies select and implement, right? We are that logistics technology arm for primarily large shippers, uh, medium to large shippers, and we're helping them select and implement the right technology to meet their business needs, right? Because every company is unique and different, and we all know logistics space is complex and, and challenging and changing. Yeah, now I've talked to Mike Monqueen and uh, Brad Forster on the podcast, who worked with you over at JBF, and those guys educated me a little bit on this. I, th- I love what I, th- I think I learned from them, which is when really big companies need to go make these decisions – not just really big companies, but any company that's got to make a decision on we're buying a transportation management system. They don't buy it every year. They don't buy it every five years. It's a long-term purchase, and it's also something that can have millions of transactions in it. So it can't be off, and you don't have necessarily anybody in-house who's ever selected the right TMS. I don't know it's more than TMS, but selected the right technology for the job. Or implemented it. That's right. And and even if you do have somebody in-house that's done it before and has the experience, the space is changing rapidly. And there's a lot of people that, like, they know one piece of it, right? So there are so many components to what is termed TMS these days. And, you know, you talk about best in breed and, you know, well, which breed are you talking about? Are you talking right. about optimizing routes or selecting carriers or... You know, managing your own personal fleet. There's there's many components. Yeah, and it, I, I've said this before on my podcast. And when I first worked at a little 3PL, we uh, we had this some transportation management systems. We got them off the shelf. But man, it was like I was Steve Jobs when I went and visited some customers with that and said, look, here, this is our transportation management system. People were just absolutely delighted because they didn't have any technology. Well, that was probably 10 years ago now. And... TMS is just the beginning now. Now you talk about the visibility programs and the WMS and the ERP and how you have to connect with that ERP and dynamic pricing tools. It seems as if what was once the the pinnacle is now just table stakes. That, that's right. Yeah. I mean, 25 years ago, I worked for Coca-Cola and we went down the path to select and implement a a TMS system at the time. And it was all about just getting an automated or semi-automated way to tender loads to carriers, get their responses, communicate more effectively. I mean, and manage rates and have a routing guide that you could track against. That was state of the art. 
right. you know, and just to have that technology in place and, and communicating and, and not having to rekey information into host systems. I mean, that was what, but this is, this is great. Real-time visibility wasn't even on our radar screen at the time, honestly. Oh, no, no. I always am reminded of this. When I first started my career in automotive, which, so I worked for big companies in automotive. You work for big companies, Coca-Cola, this is one of the largest companies, but our supply base suppliers were in the Midwest, somewhere down south, but they weren't they weren't in Mexico for the most part, and they certainly weren't in China. This is pre pre two thousand, and you know we had tools that we had, and we take whatever tool you could give us, we were happy to have it. But flash forward to today, now you have a supply base all over the world. So I don't need just a transportation management system. I need warehouse management system. I need ERP, but I also need expertise and technology across the world that and i need that we always joke about it but i want that end-to-end i want that end-to-end visibility i want that end-to-end connectivity the bar has gotten so high so i just think you know if you're a, a, a company you can have internal people but they probably just haven't implemented the latest and greatest because that's not their business that's right that's right and i mean in the you know online shopping world We've all, you know, our the non-logistics person exposure to logistics is, wow, I can look and see where my package is and uh, in real time, you know. So that, that becomes the expectation now for, well, why can't I do like when I order something from Amazon and just see when the truck's going to be here? Well, <laughs> right. So before we get into a little bit about you, tell us one more time, uh, who's, who's your sweet spot? Who do you guys typically work with and what problem are you solving for them? Yeah, our, our sweet spot are medium to large shippers, and we're we're t- typically focused on. Well, how much the spend on that transportation spend? Yeah, you're talking usually, you know, fifty to hundred million plus up to you know billion. So yeah, somebody spends a billion dollars on logistics and transportation. Yeah, absolutely. Can you give me the? Can you give me their phone number? <laughs> <laughs> there, there are multiple multiple companies that spend that much on uh, logistics and transportation, and probably many more now, given uh, the cost rise over the last few years here, especially in the ocean side. But our our focus in in our you know where where we're unique, I think, is that we really partner with the customer. We're not uh, aligned with any software vendor. We, you know, we, we don't... You're agnostic, I think they call that. We're, we're agnostic is the right way to put it. And and that's that, I think that term's a little overused, but... Of but course. Frankly, we're, All the words we're, we're going to use are overused, Mike. That's yeah. what we're doing today. <laughs> exactly. So, but, you know, it, we, we're working, we're, we're putting ourselves in their shoes and saying, if I worked at this company, I am working at this company, right? And, and and I'm looking out for their best interest based on the knowledge I have and the experiences we have to connect them with the right set of tools and make sure they're implemented in a way that meets their needs. Because uh, every, like I said before, every company has a unique set of needs and some of them bring really big value and frankly, some of them don't. So you know, and, and so we try to help say, okay, you, you're you're telling me you need real time visibility. Why do you need that? What what value is that bringing to your business? And why is that so important? Let's make sure we're making an investment here that's smart. You know, versus just you know <laughs> attaching to the latest buzzword in the industry or you know coaching them away from the fear of missing out. Like you're not missing anything if you don't really need it. 
Right. Well, we 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 know this. You pick up any newspaper or magazine. Well, go online wherever you're looking at. We've had a ton of technology implementations failures over, especially. I mean, you don't hear about them anymore as much, but that's because we've really gotten pretty stringent about it. But for 20 years, that was the that was the probably the number one problem in business was. They decided to implement an ERP and it practically killed their company off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and, and, and the challenge in logistics is there, there's, and, and especially transportation, there is such a wide array of packages and vendors and applications out there, even within one uh, ownership, that don't really fit or meet your needs, but you wouldn't know that if you went and talked to that vendor, right? You're, you're going to get a story that sounds really good and boy, I should be buying that. Exactly. So that's where we're trying to help sort, sort out, you know, that's, <laughs> they're playing in a space that you, you guys really aren't in. So, you know, you can go down that path, but you, you're going to have problems down the road because it's just not a fit. So we'll talk a little more about why freight tech fails. And uh, but first, I want to talk, talk a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? And give us some career highlights before you joined uh, JBF. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I was born in Detroit. Very nice. Some, That's where all the area. cool kids are from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so half raised in Detroit and half raised in Knoxville, Tennessee. So my dad worked for basically an automotive supplier supporter, and he was transferred to Knoxville, Tennessee, right before I went into high school. So I went to high school and college in Tennessee, in Knoxville. I went to the University of Tennessee, actually nice. a degree in electrical engineering. The, the logistics space then was not very scholastic. Uh, it was starting, but it was a little side part of the business program, and I wasn't interested in business uh, at the time. So I, I stayed in engineering and went down the electrical engineering path and uh, came out of school and implemented plant floor data collection systems uh, and, uh, and plant floor automation solutions for companies in, in the East Tennessee region. So we, we did anywhere from barcoding the plant, getting data off the plant floor into host systems. Uh, our company actually wrote some kind of middleware to translate that data and feed it into a host uh, system. Back in the IBM days, we were an IBM industrial computer distributor. So that that got me some really good experience uh, and uh, led me to a job in Knox, or in Atlanta, brought me to Atlanta, which I've been in Atlanta since then. So uh, kind of really my home now. I've been here longer than anywhere else. And uh, so, you know, in Atlanta, I worked for a small supplier for Coca-Cola and helped, helped them implement, well, crazy, you know, small company set up their office network, got them going on email, crazy <laughs> stuff like that, you know, but it also did some pretty cool stuff in the warehouse and, and some automation, you know, just light assembly, uh, taking some of the manual effort off of and uh, off the employees, uh, which made a big difference for their bottom line. But also interestingly enough, got engaged with Coca-Cola on how can we save them some money on logistics? So we were a point of sale supplier. We shipped stuff you don't see anymore, frankly, signage in the stores. Right. You don't see that very much. Stand up cardboard cutouts uh, of, you know, football players or whatever. Right. And uh, the latest Coca-Cola promotion. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, so we had this program where we were the large format go-to for Coca-Cola, but all the small stuff 
got parsed out to other suppliers across the country. And then all the suppliers would ship into these six, 700 Coca-Cola, they called them sales centers at the, at the time, they're small DCs across the country. And so I, I ran, I, and everything was small package or LTL. Um, so I, I got all the LTL tables and rates and wrote some programs to analyze, hey, if, if all these suppliers just ship all this stuff to us in Atlanta, you know, now you're consolidating all those shipments into larger LTL shipments. And then we ship everything out of Atlanta to all the suppliers in one now or to all the sales centers. Now the customer's receiving one shipment for their promotion instead of five. And we saved you a bunch of money on freight. And they're like, this is great. And then the next play was, of course, well, why don't you just have us produce everything? Then you can save that inbound freight too. <laughs> so it helped us kind of build uh, Very some, nice. some additional business. And it was a, it was a cool project because that, that's really was my entry into logistics was kind of understanding the LTL rates and, and how you know, we, we looked at our shipments and like 80% of them were LTL minimums. So we're like, we can add stuff to here for free. You know, it was free shipping. So it was, uh, it was really cool to see that and watch it come to life and help, help us grow our business uh, based on just logistics costs because um, it was a big component of, of, of the cost because print and batter was frankly heavy and expensive to ship and the stuff we were producing was big so it drove it to LPL and, and you got into these minimums so it was cool and then from there Coca-Cola offered me a job in their marketing department to help them with processes and systems and marketing and so I took that and uh, went from the guy that knew something about the a guy in a marketing department that knew something about freight and like, Hey, we have this freight budget. Would you help us manage that too? And I'm like, sure, whatever, you know, it was like $8 million small package and LTL stuff. So that got me connected with all the other logistics folks at Coca-Cola, which at the time was very disparate. They had three separate divisions right. and within each division you had, there was no logistics VP or any of that. No, there was no supply chain. I mean, it was all independently run by the, the separate business units. Um, and that changed and ended up, they, they formed a big initiative to combine, at the time it was the Minute Maid division, which was the juices, the bottling division, uh, which was really supporting the bottlers, uh, so all the bottler uh, stuff, and then the fountain division, which is the syrup that went out to the, ultimately to the food service restaurant business. So those three groups consolidated and we we actually formed a supply chain at coca-cola and and so through that process is when we started to look at selecting a tms to implement and i raised my hand i was like i'd really like to be part of that project that sounds cool it's interesting i've got some background and experience there and uh i I, and i kind of told my boss at the time who was the the, now the vp of logistics i was like i don't really want to do this marketing stuff anymore these people are crazy I want to deal with supply chain people that are rational and logical. Uh, so theoretically, <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah, theoretically. So he said, "Well, this project will be a good gateway to get you into that space." So I did that. It was business lead for a couple of years, uh, getting uh, TMS implemented, and then I jumped over to managing uh, truckload freight, primarily truckload freight for the product side of Coca Cola. First on you know on the primarily on the juice and fountain side of the business and then eventually we consolidated with the bottler and managed their freight as well and and you know I ended up doing all 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 of the legacy three divisions under my umbrella for the southeast and it was 
a very interesting job in that you were close to the action and you had you had this dynamic where you had to constantly battle to try to get control of your day. So your your day controlled you. Most of your, you know, you were re- reacting to things. And I always said, if I had a day or a week where I felt like at least half of my time was not reacting to stuff and actually planning and being methodical, I was happy. Um, and that that was about half the year. And then the other half of the year was like, how do I get back to that? You know, Mike, I always describe that as anytime you take on a new project somewhere like then that and logistics is always that way. But I always say you will drown until you build a boat. And the the hard part is you're drowning. How do you build a boat? And But you will continue to drown and to cut out a day to get, cut an hour out to work on a process or a system or a rule seems almost impossible. But we've all done it. And you somehow six months later go, you know, what What do we do that this isn't so crazy? But So you worked at Coca-Cola, and I think that would be one of those large, large shippers. And I think what's interesting about those kind of businesses is logistics is such – it's it's almost the entire business of logistics. There's not a ton of manufacturing to it. You're, yeah, you're getting the bottles. manufacturing is light. It's, uh, you know, it's it's really filling. Bottling is filling, right? You're, you're and taking filling and moving materials, it. throwing it together and mixing it up and putting it in a bottle. Not to say, not to undermine. I am Coca-Cola is one of their biggest customers. They know that. There you go. You know what, as you were talking about implementing a TMS, and I'm sure they've upgraded their TMS since then, but... I learned this from talking to Mike Mulqueen, I think, or maybe it was Brad Forster who works with you, that a lot of the top companies in the world implemented a TMS 20 years ago, even 30 years ago, whenever they, whenever the first TMS came out, and have does millions of shipments per year, and they might even spend you know that billion-dollar number you mentioned. And the problem is now... They're on these older systems, and it's not easy to move off them. And I, and from what I understand, they could have a server in the hallway or next to your desk. That so it's not in the cloud. And then you know we've seen so much consolidation in the transportation management software business or systems. And now all of a sudden, somebody says, "Hey, that legacy system that you've got ten million transactions in, we aren't going to support that anymore." Or or we're going to move it to the cloud. And these are massive, massive endeavors, right? That, I mean, is that some of the stuff you guys are wading into, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, you know, that a lot of times it, it, it's time for them to reevaluate anyway, right? To your point, they've, they've had the same system for 15 years. Well, what a hard years. decision because you've been, you've been babying that system along for how long, right? Yeah, yeah, and you know it's they're they're not like these are not uh, light or cheap endeavors. They're they're expensive. They're they're tough. They're, you can't make a mistake on that next choice either because you know, you've got so much at stake. Right, right, and the the challenge is always uh, how do you transition from one to another while keeping we we called it when we implemented TMS at Coke keep the trains running on time. You know you got to keep the business running. And you got to keep the service levels there, but you're massively changing how you do that in, in midstream. You know, there's right. no. I've, I've, I've heard another analogy. We used this when we were changing in the product development process at Chrysler. And a lot of automotive companies went back and redid their product development process. And I remember somebody said, 
This is like rewiring an airplane that you're on going from New York to LA. You have to get it done, obviously correctly, but it's time-based, right? And we do not want to hit the ground while we're doing this. Exactly, exactly. And and it's a project in itself, just the, the we call it cutover, the migration from one from the old system to the new system. I mean, one of our clients, we had two locations were migrating and our cutover activity list was 800 to 1,000 items. The little tasks that have to happen in sequence in a coordinated effort, just to, just, that's not the development and all that, just to, just to bring it over and make it live and, and to your point, to rewire the aircraft while it's flying. Right. So we switched over and started talking about the uh, topic here. But um, when and why did you join JBF Consulting? Yeah. So, you know, at Coca-Cola, after I managed uh, the operations for many years, I went into procurement uh, and the dedicated space. I did a little bit of uh, fleet uh, system work and then went to a company called now called Prima Water Corporation. At the time, it was DS Services. They're a five-gallon home and office delivery water supplier and distributor uh, and, and ran their transportation for about four years. And, you know, I was at a point in my career where like, I've got a, a breadth of experience. I've got a lot of insight and, you know, leaving Coke was difficult, but it also gave me a different view of the world. And I realized like there's a, there's an opportunity to help people figure out not just the technology side, but how to make the technology effort part of a bigger play, right? It, it gives you an opportunity to do many things when you embark on that technology. It's a huge investment. It's a huge change. And there's a point of time from a business point of view where I spent, you know, I, I had system stuff scattered in there, but I'm a business guy, right? I'm not a systems guy. I'm not, I haven't spent any time in an IT department. I, I ran, you know, transportation operations and logistics networks and that kind of stuff. And I uh, did some management of private fleet, but you know, for me, technology is just one piece of the puzzle. And when you take on a technology project, if you look at it correctly, it, it, there's an opportunity to really kind of reset how you do things and how you get better at what you're trying to accomplish every day in, in your business. So for me, JBF was an opportunity to kind of look at it from a different point of view and have have the opportunity as well to learn the technology space better but apply that to the business problems at hand. Right. And before we hit, well, we talked for over an hour the other day and then we were talking today before we hit record about this topic, which is why freight tech fails. And, and a lot of it comes down to it fails, not necessarily because of technology, but because of business issues, because of us not managing our projects right, being not not making the business case, you know, kind of saying. And uh, there is there's so much of it where we say, "Oh, that's a technology project." But every project has people. Every project has a budget that is there because there's theoretically an ROI. Right? We are trying to take advantage of an opportunity or fix a problem. Right? There's so th- so there's a lot of these things that have the same similarities is that it's not 
even every a technology program isn't about technology. It's about the people, the processes, the methodology for implementation. It, it, it truly is that three-legged stool. It's people, process, technology. And if any legs shorter than others, then you're and they always you're are. <laughs> yeah, you're limited, and you've got a you've got a slanted seat, right? Yep. And, yep. Well, let's switch gears and talk about this. So, Mike, why do freight tech fail? So, what? So, we're, we're talking about freight tech fails. Why do we implement a freight technology? And it, there's a lot of them out there. And and the failure would be defined as not meeting the goals what we thought we had, and maybe having not solving the problems at hand. Yeah. Right. So why do we why do we have these failures? What what causes those? And I think what's changed over the years is is the space has grown, become more dispersed. And let's face it, the the problems have become more dispersed, right? This bar is higher. The bar is much higher too. Yeah. The supplier bases are different. The expectations of, of the customer or the consumer are different. So everything is expanded in scope. And so it becomes so much more important now to take before you venture down this path. And I always say, you know, the <laughs> the folks that like the movie um, Up, you know, squirrel. Right, right. <laughs> don't right. don't chase the squirrel and the shiny objects. You know, take a step back and and look at what problems are you trying to solve. What what are your true business goals and match that up with the right technology that's out there today. Yeah. And Mike, if I could interject also, you mentioned the customer expectations rising and clearly they have. And I, I say this a lot on my podcast is we're all using consumer technology that we find very intuitive, very easy to use. And then you go to work, you're not going to tolerate a system from the 80s or 90s that doesn't have that intuitive touch, feel, ease of use, uh, that graphic interface that, you know, if somebody says right now to you, Mike, hey, I want you to start using this system and it takes two days of training. You're like, are you sure we should even have that technology? I don't want two days of training. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, That's right. And and so much, you know, the, the buzzwords of the customer experience is now morphing into this user experience, right? Because it, it's Both. becoming one and the same for many people. And, you know, understanding what your customer is needing and desiring and matching that up to the true needs of your business is so important because you can spend a lot of money making a technology look really cool and be very interactive. But how many times have you went to order something that says it's in stock and then you get the email and goes, uh, yeah, sorry, we're out of stock. You know, so if all the backend systems aren't working correctly, <laughs> It's all for naught. You know, you've just ruined that investment on the user experience piece because you didn't spend the right time connecting all the systems together and putting the processes in place. Um, I explain this to my wife all the time. She's like, how could they be out of stock? You said it was in. I was like, what's their inventory management process? You know, are they doing cycle counts? Are they keeping their system in tune with real life uh, in real time? And and that's that's become... You can't batch that stuff anymore. Like that's all got to become very wired together. And that sounds easy, but does really hard. <laughs> but I think one of the challenges also, not only is customer expectations have risen, but I think also probably 25 years or 20 years ago when you're at Coca-Cola and you're saying, I would like to get a transportation management system if, if there was even such a thing. There certainly wasn't an internet full of 
transportation management system people reaching out to you saying, this is what you need. Now we have Gartner, we have Freight Waves, we have podcasts like mine, where there's so many people selling stuff, which is great. We have options. But when you have options, it makes it a little harder because I can't just say, well, it's easy. There's only three choices. You know, but so right now, no, you're right. You're there's, right. I mean, there's hundreds of choices. Yeah. And and before we hit record, we were talking about this idea of if you go on LinkedIn or you're looking at you know any media you, you, about the, our industry, there's immediate fear of missing out, FOMO. Right? You go, everybody else is using AI and ML. I don't know what it is, but I need some. Right? <laughs> and and um. I need I need visibility. I do I have enough visibility. I need more. I need dynamic pricing. There's this. So I gotta think if you're the you know, a shipper, you're looking and saying, Wow, what do I pick? So so I think this is where you guys come in. So but before we before we get about what you guys are doing though, let's talk about what just give me at a high level, two or three reasons these freight tech projects fail. Yeah, well, we touched on one of them, or I did at least, you know, making sure the right business needs and goals are properly addressed and matched up with what what technology you choose. And then even beyond that, you have to, the, the implementation period is critical. So making sure you, you connect all the dots, all the business requirements, and all the expectations are tied out not just to the technology. That's, I don't say that's the easy part, it's the given part. That's, that's where the, the tech folks focus on, but making sure the processes and the people are aligned to that too. Often these systems bring about change in the organization and how it's structured, how it's managed. Is it local, is it central, is it regional? These, these decisions are important because they inform how the technology is gonna be developed and executed and implemented. Uh, if you don't have that mindset, then you're going to miss out. You're going to throw in some technology. And, and I think this is a big reason that just it doesn't it's not the right fit, you know, either because you didn't select the right tool or you didn't take the time to really understand how it fits into the people and the process side of things. And then from there, there there's also and, and this goes, I think probably to IT projects from day from way back in the day, but it, it, it seems to be accelerated a little bit more in that folks, you know, it's so important to get it on time, under budget or on budget and implemented and we had a successful go live and yeehaw. And then it's like, you know, everybody just drops off the cliff after that. And and they disappear and it's like the users are left with a new set of tools to use and probably some new processes and yeah they kind of get it and they can get through it and they can make it happen but have we really set a platform for them to improve and get better um, so you just leave behind the system that got implemented that yeah it works but but it might be 70 percent. so you might have said right, okay right. we're I just bought a new system and we implemented it properly. We got everybody on board. We got buy-in, all that, all that good stuff. We have a sponsor. We got the great tech tech support from JBF. Now we implement it and go, holy God. Oh. And I think there's some fatigue in all this. Where you when you finally implement, it's almost like, whew, let's go out and celebrate. We we launched it. Nobody bitched today. We're done. Right. And the problem is. 
maybe you only have 70 or 80%. And by the way, I used to joke about this. Um, it's, it's in every business. There's launch band-aids, I call them. Uh, whether it's uh, automotive, you'll spend an extra dollar to stop a squeak in the car. And then what? Fi- then if you don't have the continuous improvement, follow on right behind it. The guy who put that extra dollar per car, which is an enormous cost, you don't address that and take that and go, hey, we're going to have to redesign that so we don't have a dollar extra in the car. We do launch Band-Aids with technology projects where you say, okay, well, we turned off this field and this field and this field because they weren't working right or they weren't connected. And then and then you go, we launched. Woo! <laughs> right. And, and, and so they're, they're okay with that. You know, they, they it only takes them an extra couple minutes every transaction. <laughs> right. You know, right. So, yeah. So we, we're so, I think we're, t- we, we're, we're happy. We got that. We got through that first phase, but it's not done because we might, we might only be getting 70% of the full use of that transportation management system if that's the tech we're using. But on top of that, we're leaving, we're leaving money on the table. We're leaving opportunities on the table. And the reason we're doing it is because we got to get all these expensive tech guys off the project. We've got to get, uh, and I think in a lot of ways we stopped doing the ROI. And I think that's what we need to do and say, you know, to your point, every one of these transactions is taking an extra two minutes because we turned off this functionality. If we spent, if we spent another month or so, could we get all the rest of the functionality? You know that, and that's what we need to start looking and doing the math because there's an ROI on that stuff. Yeah, and and often the the logistics side of things, the ROI isn't in the user productivity, um, although it's important and you don't want to underplay it. The ROI is in uh, addressing your your logistics cost. That's that's the that's the elephant. Yeah, but I don't it. have time to do my logistics cost because I got an extra two minutes tri- for transaction. And that's why we have technologies do the routine stuff so I can free myself up to go after the, the bigger, uh, bigger fish. And, and that is, that's a key point, Joe, because that's what a lot of companies miss. They're like, they, they look at it as a headcount opportunity, right? Maybe, and often it's not, I'm just going to cut that headcount, but gosh, somebody leaves. Maybe I don't have to replace them now because I've got this efficient logistics technology versus saying exactly what you said, which is, let the automatic mundane and I, and for that I do like the seventy percent because there are exceptions that pop up. You're going to have to manage them manually. Uh, the system can't do everything, but it can alert you of hey, there's a problem here. You need to jump in and address. But I don't have to touch every transaction every day. And now I've got then I go back to my operations days at Coke where you know my day was filled with problems and and all you're doing is reacting. And you couldn't even have 10 or 20% of your day to think. If I can get 50% of my day as a logistics manager or operations manager in transportation to, to stop and think, and maybe it's not one block of time, but it's a few blocks across a day, boy, I, I, can, I can start thinking about tomorrow and next week. And what are some things I can do today to make that a little better? Or what are some, hey, what are some tweaks we could make to this system so I don't have to deal with this problem again. I think we look at, we, we, we also sometimes get in this mindset of, oh, okay, I've got uh, Mike Wolf on here. He's, uh, he's, he's, this, he's an expert. He, he's got uh, this experience, data scientist, a little bit of technologist. He's a logistics guy. And uh, 
oh, look how much he costs. That's really a problem. Well, the good thing about having Mike Wolf on the project is he could be saving, most likely is going to be saving you millions of dollars per year or improving the quality of the business. He's, and, if, and if all you want to look at is, look at that big number there. And this is the problem we get into is, and I think part of it's not going back and saying, let's do the ROI. Uh, what What's the next project we can work on? I think it's, it's continuous improvement. I'll throw one thing out there to you, Mike, and I know we talked about it, so I know your thoughts on it, but implementations should end just so the next one can begin. I mean, we shouldn't be stopping and saying, whew, we won the technology war. We won the logistics war. Hallelujah. On to the... <laughs> yeah, and, and realistically, it should be it should be a handoff, right? Because there is a team that's good at implementing projects and focus on that. And there should be another team that comes in and says, okay, we understand what you did, but we also know and understand how to run it on operation and how do we make this better over time and address the new upcoming changes to the business, whether it's a new customer with unique challenges and requirements, whether it's a new market challenge in, in the transportation space that seems to happen weekly or monthly. And you know how do we, how do we adapt uh, those and tune our system to get better? Because if you're not doing that piece, your system that you just invested likely millions of dollars in and put in, it, it, it's not certainly not getting better. And I can tell you right now, it's not staying the same because everything else is changing. So it's guess what? It's getting worse. You're, you're, you now have a deteriorating investment and you, you just brought yourself uh, a path to that. So, yeah. These are tech projects so like people. They, you get better, you get bitter. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah. I'm going to summarize this first chunk. So one of the, re- the we'll, we'll, we'll load three high level reasons some of these projects fail is first off, we never had a really good strategy. We never understood the business problem. Maybe we got carried away with, I, I, I want AI and ML. Like, that's all I want. I want more visibility. You get carried away with maybe what the technologist, uh, tech sales guy was telling you. And you really need to say, what business problems are we going to solve with this new technology initiative? Yeah, my favorite in that is, I really like that demo I really liked the way the screens looked, and that's really cool. <laughs> but did you ask the tough questions? <laughs> you know? Yeah, you don't realize you don't realize that's on a, a server from 1989. So we don't we don't do that upfront piece, which is really understanding what the business problem is, and then, and then we, as a result, sometimes pick the wrong technology. And again, I throw this out there: if you do it once a decade or once every 20 years. You don't have that skill set on your team. So no surprise that you don't do this strategy. Secondly, the implementation, something goes wrong. I think we do better on implementations than ever before. But if the implementation doesn't work, and we'll get into the change management in a moment here, but the implementation doesn't work, it's because maybe we didn't get all the right people involved. We didn't get the right buy-in. We'll get into that in a sec. But then the third thing we talked about is, this, I think there's a fatigue that happens and maybe also the desire to just stop spending money on the implementation. So you leave, you leave big opportunities or big gaps. You know, again, why we're doing this is usually high cost of an unresolved problem or high cost of a missed opportunity. We're leaving those alone so we can take people off the project. And I think we have to look and say, 
a good technologist, a good data scientist, a good uh, logistics guy. He doesn't cost you money. He makes you money. He saves you money. He makes your customer happy. The idea that everything has to just kind of be zeroed out because, whew, I, I saved that money. Yeah, you save that 200 grand and uh, you have a whole bunch of unhappy customers. So we walk away too soon on these projects. And, and like I said, or you have a you have a platform that's now kind of going backwards um, because it's not keeping up with the times. And you know, not to mention the customer requirements and needs are changing. The the what you're buying, you know, on the transportation side is changing as well, and you got to continue to tune and adapt to that. So let's just say I'm sick and tired of not having good tech projects, and I say I'm going to call my friends at JBF. What do you guys do so I don't have that same problems that we just discussed? What's your process? Yeah, well, we actually have three practices, right? So we have a blueprint practice that Mr. Malkin runs, and that that's really all about the strategy, right? And and sitting down with that business, understanding your unique needs and your unique framework, and then you know saying what what are you trying to get out of a new system, or do you have an existing set of systems that you're really trying to look at and what, what are you trying to get out of those? And then evaluating that against, and this is where Malkin shines. He knows the market and he knows what fits Yeah, there. you guys were just, I think you were just at uh, one of the conferences. This is the challenge is if you didn't pick a TMS in the last 20 years, what makes you think you understand the market? You know, to your point, Mike, Mike Malkin does. And you need that. Again, We this is an expertise that didn't exist 20 years ago, but it exists now. And the reason it exists now is because these missing, not under having a strategy, not knowing what's out there available to buy technology-wise is a huge problem. And by the way, I've been in meetings with Mike and Brad before where they were were saying, we want to learn about this new technology. I just introduced them to somebody. And I was think that's that's not something the average person within a big company, say like a Coca-Cola or a General Motors has a chance to do. Yeah, yeah. We're, we, and we're looking at those things and we're kicking the tires and we're asking the questions, you know, where are you positioning your software? That what, what, what are your strengths? We're not asking, and they know, we're not asking as a prospective buyer so they can answer those honestly. And then we can say, okay, where does that fit? Does that fit with the needs of this client? And if it doesn't, you know, if it comes up in conversation, we're going to say, guys, that doesn't fit with your needs. That's that that software is developed to meet a niche that you're not interested in, uh, or doesn't just doesn't fit your business. And you know, to your point, like Coca-Cola days, literally the Gardner matrix for TMS was probably I don't know six or eight <laughs> dots, and and we did we narrowed it down to three that were viable for our volume. There were three viable solutions, and we picked one and moved forward with it. And it was you know it wasn't easy to make the choice then, but it was a lot harder now. Straightforward. <laughs> now, you know, now if you're a shipper that has a private fleet, you buy you buy um, shipments from carriers. Uh, so you have, you know, a, a, a procurement piece and you have an execution piece related to that. And then let's say, you know, a lot of a lot of shippers now are getting into having their own kind of in-house brokerage, you know, whatever it might be. So you've got like three or four different spaces to buy from and each one has many, many choices. So it hasn't just expanded. It's it's exponentially multiplied and your options are endless. 
I think also when you're buying a technology now, something that you might not have had even consider in the past is all of the, I'll call them best in class applications that are popping up that are brand new. So we know we have uh, dynamic pricing, capacity management. We have the visibility platforms. We can check the insurances and licenses for our suppliers. All these things popped up and in the olden days, it would take a small fortune and an army of tech guys to connect those, in, integrate those, make it much more easy with APIs. I'm saying APIs because I I, uh, I know what those are. And um, <laughs> they're just the magic glue that holds applications together. So I think if I'm buying a TMS today, I have to look and say, can I expand? When the, when the next killer app comes next year and the year after and the year after... Am I going to be able to easily integrate to that? Yeah, yeah. And that, that's a big component. And, you know, it, is it scalable to meet the needs of my business, right? Uh, versus the path that that vendor may be going down. What what market are they chasing? And is that my market? Because if that's not a match, you've got to really ask yourself, is that the right choice? Am I buying, you know, the am I buying the Ferrari when I need a safe Volvo? type of approach. And so the blueprint practice is all about, you know, the strategy and matching that up with the right vendor implement is pretty obvious, but you know, that's, 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 a, that's your second practice. Yeah. So what's the implement? So implement, you know, is the traditional, like we talked about is it's getting all the requirements together, uh, designing the system, you know, writing any uh, code needed to get these systems to talk to one another, the integrations, uh, using APIs when they're available, you know, and, and and getting everything wired together and stood up and working to meet the business requires getting, you know, getting the users trained and, and uh, getting the software configured, all of these things that come together in your, your traditional IT project. And then, you, you know, successful go live hypercare. And, and, and this last part is the important part because we talked about. Before you leave that, Mike, we were talking uh, offline for too long, actually, about about the idea of you know this is this is where change management comes in. Is I need to get the right people in the room, and I need to make sure everybody feels like they're involved and and have a has a stake in the success of this project. Because sometimes our technology projects don't fail because of the technology; it failed because I didn't get everybody's involvement. Somebody got bad hurt feelings because. Mike picked the software without me, and I'm the one who has to use it. And then I go in, and I I I, I coined this term. It's my term, malicious compliance, which I've I've experienced in the past, where somebody is forced to use this new technology, and they are going to find a reason it doesn't work. And so, so 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 Mike says, "Hey, Joe, I got you the perfect technology." I'm like, "It doesn't work. I we should have never moved to this." And and. Anyone who will listen will hear me bitch for the next year about how Mike screwed us up by writing us this new software. And, and, and it's only because that person feelings got hurt. And you can say that's silly, but that's why you have to involve everybody. And you mentioned the whole what's in it for me. We can't explain to, to everybody there's some value in this. It's not for the overall company. But for you personally. Well, yeah, but it, it starts there, right? It, it does have to start with that management message. I call it the burning platform, but yep. it, it, it is, it's the, you know, it's the why. It, why. Why are we embarking on this journey together? And then 
you know, you've got to engage the managers to understand that and break it down for their folks all the way down to the front line. You got to sell everybody. Yeah. And, and it, it, it's the umbrella. It gets wide, right? Because you, you affect the DCs, you affect the shipping clerks, you affect, you know, drivers, both your own company drivers, as well as the drivers that work for third parties. You, you affect the yard hustlers, you know, all of these supply chain folks, you, the supply planners are all affected by this, this change in this system and the, this set of processes and understanding and aligning to their needs and building that into the project up front is so important. And, and it is a, I, I use um, some words from a previous leader of mine, it, it's pay me now or pay me later. Um, I, I love that because the pay me later is painful. It's, oh, we there's no budget for later. <laughs> yeah. And, and it's, it's, you know, it, it means redoing stuff often, right? Rethinking, reapproaching. Uh, if you invest up front, get all of that input, you can't meet everybody's needs, let's be honest. But if you can, if you can sort that up front, sort that out up front and then explain to folks, here's here's the direction we're going. We, we heard your input. We also heard their input and there's a clash. We can't do it all. So here's the right approach. Uh, and then using that, that I call it a, a platform, it's really people, it's the managers, it's the supervisors to communicate that and socialize it with, with everyone. Uh, so they understand and they're part of the process. And this can often get tricky because implementing these systems, you know, getting the right processes in place and then having the right people to support that often means there's some organizational change involved. And, you know, that's usually a known thing. So, it, you know, making sure people are engaged through the process while having that lingering it is a difficult management task. Some people will have the sense that they won because of this. Others will have the sense that they lost and maybe their ch- job changes. And sometimes there's a, somebody who feels like their role might have been diminished because of the new ch- project. So we have to be sensitive to all that. And I think this is where you're getting a good sponsor and using just change management methodology. And I think you pointed out to me that you listed, what was it, 14 I think the last time I counted was 15. 16, it's it's a lot, right? There's a lot of yeah. change management methodologies and, and they're all good. But it's all about kind of getting everybody on board and, you know, getting some quick wins, building that urgency and explaining what's in it for me. And um, yeah, we don't need to go into that. And, and, and let's be honest, what's not in it for me, right? Um, because sometimes that's the part that people leave out. And I say people, it's a t- it's the part that management leaves out of the discussion. But you need to be overt about that, right? You, you're not going to be doing this anymore. And here's why. And making sure people are understand that. Because if they hear it directly, as painful as it may be, it's better than them guessing what what that means when they don't hear it. Um, so you, you, you're trying to take some of that guesswork out of it and be, I always say, be as clear as possible and let folks know, like, we don't have all the answers. We don't have this all figured out, but this is where we're going and this is why, and this is what it means to you and this is why it should be important to you. That's gonna get them through what I call the change curve more quickly, right? Because any change is difficult especially when it affects 
not only your work, but sometimes it's your signature, right? It's, hey, I'm known for the guy that knows how to pull this data and put it all together and hodgepodge it, and that's my value. Well, guess what? In the new system, it's automatic. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, but your, your input is valuable to understand how you do that. So we design it in the new system to come out right. And oh, by the way, it's going to free you up some time to probably do something something even cooler analytically and understand the data in a way that really helps us improve the operation moving forward. So you're not get you you get that person into a different mindset and hopefully you get them to a point where they see, yeah, this is going to suck for a while, but on the other side of this, I've got a I've got an upside, right? There, there's a there's a better place for me. So Yep. So we talked about the first practice you guys have, which is kind of the strategic, let's just uh, say, understanding the ROI and understanding the the market for the trend, the technologies. Second, we talked about implementation. What's the third practice you guys have over at JBF that helps me be successful on freight tech? Yeah. So the third one is Accelerate. I, I personally don't love the name of it, but it, it's really about continuous improvement. So Accelerate is about Accelerating the value. Yeah, I get it. Accelerating the value of, of, of the TMS and making sure you're continuing to foster and, and invest in it and keep it up to date and up to speed. And it's not going backwards. It's going forward and continuing to meet the needs of your customer, your changing business, et cetera. Yeah, we talked about that. This is where sometimes we we were so focused on launching it and getting to the place where we're, we're doing what we said we'd do more or less. But then we walk away. We, we, and again, I think there's sometimes project fatigue where you just go, whew, we did it. We're done. And by the way, usually, I shouldn't say usually, oftentimes we spend a little more money than we planned. And, and now you're really anxious to say, how do we get everybody back to their day job, get all the consultants off board? The problem is we didn't get necessarily all the value we could out of this technology yet. And we're rushing off to the next project when we really should get the other 25, 30% of value that we can get out of this one. That's right. Yep. And and so I, I like that you guys have that as part of your, and to your point, it's continuous improvement. It's making sure we don't fall back into bad habits. It's making sure we don't start using workarounds, the technology. We've all seen that. When I was working at a 3PL, we would get, we would have these implementations where they're using all of our software, you know, all the training, and we get all agreement that, Every single shipment you do goes in our system and goes through our process. And then I remember you would invariably hear somebody say, oh, well, we just bought a flatbed. We just bought it from Tom down the street. We didn't bother going through you guys. I was like, oh, so it's not in our system, not following our process, not reflected in our matrix or metrics. Excellent. (laughs) And they're like, well, I didn't think you guys would do. I was like, oh, it just, they used to drive me crazy. But that's the kind of workaround that I'm talking about. And finally, I would always say, if you can get with purchasing and say, don't ever pay a bill from it on logistics except for here. And that's the kind of rules you can do when you start to see the workarounds happening or the the falling back. You know, Maybe those, some of those people who weren't enamored with it initially are, are undermining. So you need to keep keep at it for a while. Yeah, yeah, and it's it's ongoing, right? I mean, it, there's there's always new challenges that come up that you're like, how how is this going to work in the TMS? You know, what what changes do we need to make to make this work? And sometimes that's a painful process to go through in the moment because there's usually a, a 
you know, tight timeline to get it implemented and stood up. So yeah, you might have to have a short-term workaround, but not accepting that for the long-term is so important because it can be a death death by a million cuts for sure. We, we have to get in the mindset that there is no finish line on this stuff. It's, uh, you know, as soon as I launched the TMS, you go, okay, I mean, we've all seen technology roadmaps for software guys. They are never coming to an end with what they're doing, right? So I think we need to have that same mindset, which is, what's my roadmap? And you might, the roadmap might be, you know, there's a cool that app, then we're going to add that next quarter. And the quarter after that, we're adding this. And then we're going to upgrade the system with this. It's just, and, and the reason you're doing it is because each one of these is adding value. That's right. Yep. Yep. And you, you've got to make that connection. Yep. I think you got to do the ROI to prove it over and over again. And maybe that's where we get a little lazy. So that's why we need it can J- be hard. J- it can be that's hard. why we need JBF to prod us. Go, there's value here. Damn it. <laughs> and sometimes the value you, you originally calculated isn't, isn't what you thought it would be. And it's coming from somewhere else. And so you have to reevaluate that ROI calculation on a regular basis. All right, Mike Wolf, I want to wrap this bad boy up. So I want to talk about, we're talking today about Freight Tech Fails. And I think we talked about, and I think there's probably a hundred ways Freight Tech projects fail, but we'll talk at the high level. First off, we, we, we don't know the market very well. We haven't bought a TMS in forever or whatever we're buying. We don't have that expertise in-house. We also might get carried away with um, FOMO, fear of missing out. I hear everybody else is getting cool tech and we don't have it. And I'm excited. Maybe I got oversold by a tech guy. So that's one of the challenges we might have. But I think there's another challenge, which is I didn't get everybody on board. I didn't get the sponsor. I didn't do the things I need to do for my to be successful. Secondly, the implementation went wrong. We didn't manage that the way we should. There are best practices. You guys clearly know those, but not everybody does. Third failure is we walk away too soon. We were so fatigued with launching that we just say, done, move on to the next project. We all have other things to do. And to avoid all these things, you guys have kind of got these three practices, which is really related to strategy, implementation, acceleration. And and I think we we really have to think about – and by the way, there's there was just some – PwC just had a report – a lot of supply chain technology projects are not meeting expectations. This is not a rarity. This is more the norm than the rarity. So it's not as if you go, oh, no, no, we're really good. We'll get it done. A lot of very big, successful companies are not getting it done. And for these reasons and probably 20 more podcasts we could do, there's a lot of reasons they fail. (laughs) So final thoughts on this, Mike. Yeah, well, it's a great discussion, Joe, and I, I think it's common uh, that we have this challenge in 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 the logistic technology space because of what we talked about. You have growing expectations, a, a growing list of vendors that are trying to innovate in the space, which is great, but then you have a, a dynamic marketplace uh, and, and you put those three things in the mix and it, it gets to be really confusing. And this is a huge decision. Yeah, it's a huge decision. And you've got, you know, you've got CEOs engaged in logistics now. <laughs> so you, they're asking questions that they never even knew existed before. So, you know, they, they're seeing the shiny objects and going, why aren't we doing this? This looks really cool. I'm like, okay, what problem is that solving for us? What value does that bring? You know, let's focus on the basics and get those right. We can grow into that and put it on our roadmap, right? 
if that's something you see value in, let's define it. Let's put it out there. But let's not just go throw in some whiz-bang new technology just because everybody else is doing it or you think everybody else is, right? So. I love what you said. The CEO now is watching TV and watching, oh my God, look at this. Target and Walmart are, are being asked about their supply chains and logistics. I better go to the office and talk to my guys. Explain to me, what are you actually doing down there? So Supply chain disruption, my favorite new term, right? Yeah, exactly. Everything is, everything is blamed on supply chain disruption. <laughs> I heard David Spade talking about it. He goes, well, yeah, you know, he's kind of obviously a comedian. He goes, I don't know. I think it's uh, it's a problem. I guess kind of think related to the supply chain or something. <laughs> what I, can't help it, honey. It's the supply chain. Anyway, Mike, before you go one more time, who's your sweet spot over at JBF? What do you guys do and who do you do it for? And uh, what problems do you solve? Yeah, so, you know, medium to large shippers and we're looking – we're looking to solve logistics problems using technology and most importantly, the right technology. Then part of my role at JBF is, is in the change management space, making sure we're, we're including that solution, making that solution include the process and the people and, and the message, uh, getting that message out, um, absorbing it and then hearing the feedback from, you know, from everyone and building that into the solution. Um, so that's that's where I um, I enjoy making sure the the business needs are met. And it's I always I always like to call it a solution, not just the technology, because it, it's everything that comes along with it. It's so much bigger than just the technology piece. Yep, excellent, Mike. I appreciate you taking the time. This was uh, a lesson we all need. Great. It was great. Uh, great talking with you, Joe. Yep. Thank you so much. And thank all of you for listening to my podcast. Your support's very much appreciated. Until next time, onward and upward. You've been listening to the Logistics of Logistics podcast, where we engage in conversation with experts in the logistics field. For more details, visit thelogisticsoflogistics.com or follow Joe Lynch on LinkedIn.